0: This episode contains conversations about mental health and postpartum psychosis. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm your host, Yora, and this is Broccoli Book Club, a socially progressive podcast aimed at analyzing timely and thought-provoking reads. This is the Book Club episode, where each month I'm joined by two guests and we dissect a book within the context of our lives. You can read along with us, make suggestions, send in your thoughts and questions via voice note. It's like a real book club, but in a podcast. The episode format is split into three sections. We start at the front cover, where we talk about our first impressions and expectations. Then we delve into the actual book. And finally, we end at the back of the book where we focus on our reflections and takeaways. This month's book is What Have I Done by Laura Dockrell. One of the main purposes of Broccoli Book Club is to learn about unfamiliar and challenging topics so that we could have the tools to engage in broader discussions around them. This book not only covers Laura's personal experience during and after childbirth, but it also opens up conversations around postpartum psychosis and ways to normalise that experience. Postpartum psychosis is a very rare but serious mental health illness that may impact one or two people out of every thousand deliveries within the first two weeks of childbirth. Symptoms can include hallucinations, hearing voices, manic mood swings, feeling suspicious or fearful, confusion, and behaving in a way that's out of character. What Have I Done is a candid memoir about Laura's traumatising experience of postpartum psychosis and her journey to recovery. It confronts the 21st century idea that parenthood has to be this Instagram aesthetic, one of being out and about with your perfect family and posting beautiful pictures of your perfect baby and instead reminds us that sometimes you can't leave your house and you're so mentally unwell you think everyone's trying to kidnap your child. Laura's story is raw, heartbreaking and hopeful. Joining me in today's book club are Freddie McConnell and Tony Phillips. Freddie is a freelance journalist, writer and most notably known for being a trans dad who gave birth to his own child a few years ago. And Tony is the Chief Content Officer for Broccoli Content. He has a full-time job being a dad of four. We've done the introductions now, so it's time to look at the cover of the book. I asked Freddie and Tony if this sort of book would be a natural choice for them.
1: I was curious. I was curious because, you know, my own experience, like many other people's experience, it comes with emotional pressures as well as physical pressures. I was curious but I mean being very very honest it wasn't the sort of thing that I would naturally reach out to not for any other reason apart from I've done it.
0: And Freddie how about you?
1: I suppose
2: yeah honestly no it's not a book I would have chosen to read off the shelf or perhaps even hearing about it and perhaps I wouldn't have even chosen to read it if I'd had a personal recommendation and I think the main reason for that is a fear that it would have just been even though it's very much about an experience I've been through, it would have been alienating because it would have been all about what it's like to become a mother. You know, we hear all of this stuff talks about, understandably, to some extent, in very gendered terms. And so I would have just expected to be excluded by reading about someone's personal experience. And then because I would have expected her to talk, and she does sometimes in, in very broad terms, about motherhood and Pregnancy and how that relates to motherhood and that sort of thing. So, I would have just been wary and I would have probably just made that decision without knowing anything about the book at all. <laughs> and, but then also, I have to say that I was nervous to read a book about postnatal mental illness because it's such a scary idea. And I'm the kind of person I've been anxious my whole life, I'm prone to introspection and intrusive thoughts and that sort of thing. So, I would have just thought. Nah, that's not the book for me. I'm anxious enough already, you know. I worry about this stuff as it is.
0: Actually, Freddie, kind of like you, I've suffered and I still do suffer from mental health issues, specifically OCD. So I did think, I wonder if there will be crossover with OCD, intrusive thoughts, and kind of postpartum depression and psychosis. And I didn't think there would be. You know, I'm, I'm 24, I identify as a woman, and I have not had children. So it's just something I don't really think about often. I really wouldn't have picked this off the shelf. It's not my first go-to because I thought, well, this you know, it's probably not an experience that I can relate to or or something that I'm interested in right now. But I guess my next question is, you know, what did you know about postnatal depression and postnatal psychosis before reading the book?
1: What I did know about a little bit just a tiny bit, was psychosis. Earlier in my career, I used to work at Radio 4 as a producer, and one of the shows that I worked on, actually in its very, very earliest stages, was a show called All in the Mind. And back then it was presented by an Irish psychiatrist called Anthony Clare. I remember asking him one day, listen, I'm interested in doing something on... On psychosis I remember I'd read some press release about a conference about schizophrenia and I said I'm really interested in psychosis and I'm interested in in talking to somebody who's actually living with psychosis the reason that I wanted to do it I think were the right reasons but actually in picking up this book and I know we're going to talk about it in more detail but in picking up Laura's book You know, the remarkable thing that she was able to do was to articulate from her own experience what this was like. And that's kind of what I was after 25 years ago. She was able to do this. So I knew a little bit about psychosis, but I get the feeling from her writing and from her experience that I've got a much stronger handle on it now that I've not in a medical sense, really, but I've got a much stronger handle now thanks to her.
0: And Tony I was going to just off the back of what you were saying but specifically with postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis did you have any kind of preconceptions of what that looked like and you know the societal portrayal of what that looks like you know the the crazed woman in a white gown who's just running all over the place like that's definitely I think the image that I've ingested over the years and I was wondering if you've had a similar idea of what that looked like or what it was like.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't much more sophisticated than the description that you just offered, which was a kind of blurry kind of, there's there's some stuff going on with that individual that is scary and weird and distant. And I'm embarrassed to say, and because of that, I didn't really want to go there. Um, I
2: mean, yeah, similar, just vague ideas, no personal or, you know, kind of immediate circle experience. I I don't imagine people in gowns kind of wailing and screaming and running around asylums. I, I sort of think of it more as something that's very sad and scary and internal. And I think of like lots of crying and lots of fear but not like stereotypical kind of madness. I think of it more as it just must be the most terrifying subjective experience. I think that's how I've always thought about it. Probably the closest I could say, you know, that I've come to feeling or sensing an awareness of it, even like going through pregnancy was after giving birth, being asked questions by people who come to visit you, like the health visitor. Like those phrases were never mentioned, it was always just like, how are you feeling? You know you're supposed to say, oh yeah, fine, kind of thing. Like, so I, I, my sense is that I can see how the conversation around it remains so hard to have. Because even the people, the midwives and the health visitors who come to visit you after you give birth, don't really want to talk about it.
0: <laughs> Before reading this book, we all had our own understandings of what postpartum psychosis was, But once we delved into the heart of the book, we realised that we all related to Laura's painful experiences in many different ways.
1: It's a visceral, heartfelt, blow-by-blow account. Shock, pain, love, helplessness. It's funny. Fantastic language. I mean, I remember, you know, all sorts of things come flooding back. Far too many to remember, but I remember the first time I saw my first daughter on a on a little monitor and she described it as uh, a little black and white pixelated prawn from another planet and it was just you know it was one of the one of the hard things about reading this book is that she managed to absolutely nail your own emotions and your own memories of 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 going through this
0: and Freddie how about you
1: Well, the way I
2: feel about it starts off not great, (laughs) but then gets better. So I was sort of worried about talking about this because I don't want it to sound, I don't want it to put people off. Or she says at one point, my pregnancy was a dream. And I just kind of thought, oh no, like you sound like a really naive person. And like, I guess that that's the point she was trying to make. But to me, it just sounded, I couldn't quite believe it. The things that she was saying she thought were going to happen were the kind of things that people joke about. like everyone knows that's not true everyone knows that labor doesn't go the way you think it's going to go and everyone knows that you know people say things like oh you need to nap when the baby naps everyone knows that doesn't happen and that's what we have jokes about that's how we find solidarity and that's how we support each other but it sounds like she really believed that if she didn't achieve that then she was doing something wrong and I just thought who are these people in your life that aren't letting you in on like what we all really know which is that it's like so so hard and the fact that she was saying that she didn't prepare at all, like to me, that just makes me anxious because I'm the kind of person that really prepares a lot for everything. So, yeah, I just felt bad. I felt like I was judging her, um, you know, but I guess that's fine. Like, I think that's kind of what she's inviting in a way. She's, that is what is powerful about the book, ultimately. She's so honest. And if that was her experience, then we should we need to know that, that people are still being totally led down the garden path when it comes to what to expect when you're a new parent and we we need to be even more honest about it you know because yeah i just feel like i had a very different experience to her and then she goes into labor and it was like i just didn't take another breath for like 150 pages and i stopped making notes and i was just like ripping through it and i have a two and a half year old so that's pretty impressive i've not read a book i've read one book over the past year (laughs) And all that frustration and concern at the beginning that this wasn't a book for me and that she would just annoy me and annoy me went out the window. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm just living this experience with you. And. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so do you think this book will help normalise conversations about postpartum depression and psychosis? Or do you think there's still a long way to go with our understanding of what those conditions are and what they look like?
2: Can both of those be true? I mean, I think every individual that reads this will learn something. And I think the majority will be surprised, probably in the similar ways to we have been. And it won't be what they expect it to be. And I would urge everyone to read it, even if you feel like it's not the kind of book for you. But I'm not sure how it could go much further than individuals that read the book. There's so many of these types of things. And mental health in general, we still have such a long way to go and i'm not sure you know whether that's happening or how that happens so it's sort of hard to see how a book can bring about the change that we would need and it's clear from what you read in the book that the steps the progress that has been made because i'm sure things are probably better now than they were like 20 or 50 years ago in terms of being aware of postpartum mental illness like it's not enough i was that that was one of the scariest things for me was when When she started to articulate what she was feeling, I sort of felt this relief because I remember the people that came to visit me after I gave birth and them, them seeming very empathic and very concerned about me. Like maybe I just got lucky, but the idea that when she said, I can't remember what she said now, but you know, something like, I don't feel right. Or when she answered their questions on a, you know, how are you feeling? I thought the minute she said anything remotely, like she'd been struggling, they'd be on it. And when they said, well, we don't want to rush to diagnose depression or it's a bit soon for that. That really took me aback. Yeah. And that just shows how naive I am. I really,
0: like, sorry to interrupt, but like, I just really agree with that part because I remember when she was talking to a professional carer but who exactly it was and they'd be like, how are you feeling? And she'd be like, I'm not feeling good or say that, you know, I don't feel right. And then they say, do you feel suicidal? And she'll say, no. Obviously, in her head, she says yes, but actually, why weren't they prodding a bit more? You know, what doesn't feel right? Can you explain to us what thoughts you're having? And it just seems that as soon as you say, well, I'm not feeling suicidal, okay, it's it's not an emergency then, therefore, we don't need to deal with it. But um, how much is this normalized that health professionals don't inquire further?
2: And the idea of the baby blues and, you know, it's almost like the doctors are trying to save her from some kind of... "Quote embarrassing diagnosis," and she gets so bad before anything happens. Yeah, all of that stuff was probably the scariest aspect of the whole thing for me. The idea that you people who are there a to look suicide after
0: suicide watch, like she was, she was in the worst place she could be, and you do start thinking that she was failed at so many levels. And you know they were very lucky, and Laura says that she, they were very lucky to get sort of private healthcare. They were in an institution that was privately funded by them. But so many people won't have that chance and so many people wouldn't have been able to have those extra sort of steps to help her get through it. And it just made me so worried about someone else who might be less privileged in many ways who could seek out that kind
1: of help. It is terrifying. It was a terrifying read from the point of view of just watching somebody literally, page by page, fall apart. We can see it. We can see what's going on. But it's clearly been... It's hidden or just out of sight of those who are in the best position to actually help.
0: So I guess finally, I just wanted to know if you were prompted to do any of your own research while reading this book, you know, if so, what kind of things did you look into? I personally, as I said, I was really interested to see if it was just something that Mothers' experience, or whether you know postnatal depression and psychosis can be also in fathers, or just in parents in general. That's the kind of research that I did, and I found that that is the case. And and I really would like to hear experiences of that as well. You know, later down the line, I definitely want to look into that. What about both of you?
1: I wanted to. I wanted to go and Google all sorts of things, but to be honest. The power of her own narrative, the power of her storytelling was something that I just thought, well, actually, this is what I need. And as much as possible, I was trying my hardest. I didn't actually read it, Dora, all the way through that middle section unflinchingly. I had to have breaks because it was at times just overwhelming. And then you get the kind of benefit towards the end where she actually gives you pretty much everything that you need you know, in terms of where to go for help. Definitions of certain things. Again, it's mixed in with personal stuff that she found useful and other things that she didn't find useful. The research that I needed was all here, and it was all from her.
0: In the back of the book,
1: exactly. Well, not just in the back of the book, but the research that I needed was just her telling me. It was just sitting, literally, I felt as if I was sitting at Mm -hmm. her feet and she was just telling me.
0: And, Freddie, how about you?
2: I guess... When I finished the book, I felt pretty exhausted and had a lot to process. And I actually didn't get all the way through the notes at the back. I I stopped about halfway through because I just wanted to sit with the story and the experience that I felt like I'd shared with her, you know, in a very intense way, as intense as you can do in a book. And I felt like there were some things that I took from the book that she wanted to convey that really... I wanted them to kind of settle and embed in my mind like I love the way she talks about this idea of floating, floating past things that scare you, not fighting, but just floating like I genuinely think that's an idea that I'm gonna carry forward in my life in general, and I thought the way that she at the end she does share i don't know whether we well no it's not really a spoiler <laughs> the one the one person it seems who picks up on what she's going through without even having to be told is this neighbor of hers, right who early on in the book sends her a text message to say you know if she needs any if she needs to talk if she needs any help then and, and she's there this neighbor of hers is there and, and she can kind of see something in her eyes that suggests that there's something the matter that's also something that this neighbor went through And she shares the actual text of that message right at the end of the book and I found that really interesting to know because I think especially in this in, in Britain we can be quite bad at putting our hearts on our sleeves and putting ourselves out there and you might feel if you you can see someone really struggling in a way that you think really resonates with your own experience you can feel you know oh I don't want to overstep I don't want to intrude But really like that act of reaching out is like a shining light in a sea of like misunderstanding and miscommunication so I felt like that was just a really useful thing to include and then to emphasize at the end as if to say yeah, do send that message. You don't have to pick up the phone because, <laughs> you know, that's probably overwhelming, but do reach out. Do just let that person know that you're there. And even if they don't act on it, just knowing, you know, that that might be something that kind of stays with them and gives them hope. I kind of felt like, what else? You know, unless I go through this myself, I'm not sure there's anything else I really need to know. I'm just so, like you said, Tony, so grateful to have been able to share this experience of hers, for her to be so generous in going into such detail, but also writing such a kind of a narrative that just drives forward. Like, I think the way we've talked about it it could make it sound really heavy and really dark. And and at times it is, but it never stays that way for long. Like, before you know it, you're on to the next thing. And the way she, like, focuses on her perspective. Also, I just found, like, a good decision in terms of, of the writing and the editing of the book. I thought, you know, otherwise it would have just become too complicated. So you're kind of drawn in yeah, I I just thought,
1: yeah. But do you think that what she was doing, Freddie, was in a way discarding the language that you in particular found so off-putting at the beginning? Do you think that actually what she was doing was drilling down and down and down to get to the core of the human experience? Do you think that was what it was that kind of pulled you back in?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that was necessarily conscious, but it just goes to show that what well, gets lost in this whole conversation about language and political correctness noise sort of stuff is it it's as if we're being asked to do something new and strange and unfamiliar and actually all we're asked all we're being asked to do is to talk about people as individuals and that's the only way we can really understand each other and learn and move forward and make sure that people like laura are taken care of or like me when i show up at a uh, labor ward and need to give birth you know it benefits everyone ultimately i suppose and 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 that really came across from when she started to yeah like you say really drill down to her experience and show all the ways in which she was let down and then she suffered and and was let down by this idea of one universal experience of motherhood that's glorious and Instagram friendly and I didn't really expect that to relate to my experience of like, oh, actually, talking about motherhood in general terms is bad for everyone. like uh, sort of yeah, that was something I took away from it that I didn't expect to.
0: And finally we've reached the back cover, where Tony, Freddie and I discussed our takeaways and reflections of what have I done.
1: The biggest takeaway for me is her abilities as a a remarkable writer and storyteller to recall her own, not just her own traumatic experiences, but to be brave and skilled enough and generous enough to have us as readers experience it on the page with her it's just a remarkable act of skill and generosity at the same time and um, I'm forever going to be grateful for her for doing that. I still don't know how she did it to be absolutely honest because you know most of the traumatic things that have happened in my life you know you kind of want to put it away somewhere. Uh, You may have dealt with it but you you kind of want to just put it away and As we've alluded to before in this conversation, uh, Mm. you you know, you don't want to bring it out because that in itself could be triggering to bring it out again. But she did. She she was incredible. She's tough. Mm. She's bold.
0: For me, I highlighted this bit, and it's on page 81. It's just one sentence. My imagination is both my superpower and my kryptonite. It keeps me happy, but it can also turn on me and play nasty tricks that sentence just I think was a great sum up of what goes on here and her experience but also so many other people's experiences of what mental health issues can look like you know because the things that sometimes take us down a really dark, awful path, also have the ability to take us on an amazing path. But really it's just the way your brain is wired and the way you understand what your brain is trying to do. Because in some twisted way, I imagine that Laura's brain was trying to protect her from whatever she thought was the dangers that were around her, because that's what a lot of the time, you know, intrusive thoughts, OCD, it's just like your brain thinking, Oh, if you think this thing, then therefore you're just going to see that this is a danger and, and I'm just trying to protect you. And, and so I think for me, when I read that line, I just thought it's so true because that has been my experience of mental health issues. My brain is just so capable of taking me down, you know, a roller coaster. And I thought that was really, really powerful. And, and Freddie, what about you? Um, what was your greatest takeaway?
2: Yeah, I, I can't really add to what you guys have said. I, you know, I, I feel equally moved and grateful and surprised and changed, really, I suppose, by by reading this book. So,
0: And if there's a word that you could use to summarise this book, you know, what would it be? I think for me, it's survival. It's a journey of survival, and of course that's what she calls it in the longer title, but it's just so up and down, her experience and her journey. I just couldn't find any other word for it. I think
2: the word that comes to mind for me is honesty, which is also in the in the subtitle, because like, it's just such an honest book, that sort of feels like it's so honest and so raw, but also that honesty relating to, there are times in the book where I just found myself screaming internally like say something tell the truth tell them how you're really feeling be honest she wasn't being so i think there are ways in which both sides of that coin are really you know brought to the fore by the way she writes about her experience and ultimately you know i don't don't think there's anything she's not honest about ultimately especially the writing that she does about how she wasn't honest that's the thing that stayed with me i suppose
1: and i'm you know if the word for me was going to be raw There's a kind of uh, ugly beauty about this and about her. And this is a thing that I think a really honest, true artist, like I think she is, is prepared to just go there and put it all out. Put it all there. As the Americans might say, you know, you leave it out on the field. You just give everything. My biggest takeaway is that massive, massive streak of ugly beauty that came from her story i loved it i know it's two words i've cheated i know that Diora. but um but i that's
0: fine we'll allow it but i genuinely
1: <laughs> I, you know if you can love your narrator for what she's given you then i would have to say i really love her for doing this
0: mm. and my final question is if you could give this book to someone and share it who would it be and why? So for me, um, after reading the book, I actually called my mum because I just wanted to know she's had four children. Has she ever had experience of postnatal depression? And she actually said, yeah, a little bit with some of my siblings. And I was really surprised because we've never had that conversation. We just, I never knew. And it made me feel a bit sad that she never spoken to anyone about it or I wasn't aware of it kind of made me think you know was she ashamed was she meant to sort of play a certain role and she felt like feeling depressed after giving birth would mean that she can't play this role and live up to these expectations of a mother and I think sometimes it's really useful and comforting to read stories that sometimes reflect or mirror your own so yeah my mum would be the person that I'd give this book to.
1: Mine's similar. I think mine would be my, my wife, you know, especially that the experience of the trauma and emergency C-section. I actually was reading this, you know, I was running downstairs to talk about various sections, but I, I really want her to read the whole thing so that we can then, in some shape or form, revisit some of the stuff that we went through that day and that she, in particular, went through that day. I mean, in many ways, it's the kind of template. It's the blueprint in so many ways for our relationship. And I suspect that there are certain things that have remained unsaid that happened that day that I was unaware of, or she didn't really want to talk about, or didn't feel the need to talk about. But I would like her to read this. I think it'd be I think it'd be valuable.
2: Um, I'm kind of torn between whether to offer it to my sister who, like me, is quite anxious and we've talked in the past about sort of being so afraid of the idea of postnatal depression that we haven't even wanted to go there kind of thing. So I think she would probably get similar stuff out of it that I have in terms of things just being a bit demystified. But I would also be interested, an old colleague of mine gave me a really good piece of advice when I was pregnant, which was she'd had a very traumatic birth and things had just not gone to plan at all. And she'd been in a situation where she hadn't really considered that as an option, that things wouldn't just go to plan. The advice she gave me was, you know, make a birth plan, but also know that none of it is within your control. I think that is one of the most important bits of advice that anyone gave to me. And obviously, well, I would assume didn't give to Laura. But yeah, that is something that someone, everyone who's about to go through this, any parent should be told so that if it does all go wrong you're not shocked as well as having to deal with whatever emergency is happening. So I would offer it to her but also maybe quite gently (laughs) because it might be quite a difficult read and I don't know whether that was many years ago for her so I don't know whether she would feel like revisiting it. Yeah I, I think there's probably quite a lot that she could relate to as well.
0: I want to say a massive thanks to Freddie and Tony for contributing to this episode. And thank you so much for listening to Broccoli Book Club. Remember, you can read along with us, make suggestions, send in your thoughts via voice note to voicenotes at broccolicontent.com. In the meantime, follow us on social media. Our handle is broccolicontent on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Goodreads. I've been your host, Diora, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram, at TheDiora. Broccoli Book Club is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Casts, and all your favourite apps. This podcast is produced by Jarja Mohammed, executive produced by Tony Phillips, and our sound engineer is Ben Williams. This is a Broccoli production.